Let's take our Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, you'll want to warm up your fingers, so to speak. We've got, I've got verses I'm going to put on the screen, and um, then, then we're going to turn to a variety of texts tonight. Uh, so we'll, we'll be uh, jumping around. It's not just uh, one particular passage that we're going to be looking at. Uh, kind of the nature of the topic, uh, I think, requires a bit of this. So, so our first passage tonight will be really a classic text on uh, the nature of church life because it describes the very first church, the very first time they ever met, uh, and so this is really foundational. We've looked at it before, and, and we, while we won't go through every detail, we'll, we'll take a look at it again. It kind of offers us a, a blueprint, so to speak, of some of these ideas we'll look at tonight. All right, so let's, let's kind of take a poll of the folks in the congregation tonight. How many of you are list makers? Who are you? All right, okay. How many of you love making your list? I mean, you love it. Like, like there's something about it that just says, man, this is good, right? That I feel good when I have the list. Now, how many of you make lists because you love to check off the list? Like, that's really, that's the payoff at the end of the day. Doesn't that feel good? There is something about that. Just, just a little bit of anecdotal response here. I don't think there's one man that raised his hand. All right, so I don't know if that's because men don't like to participate. All right. Uh, or if men are the recipients of the lists of those who raise their hand. All right. And I had a head nod, all right, I'll let you all deal with that at home. Okay, so I don't know what's going on there, but this isn't marriage counseling. So, but the, you know, so list, yeah, you know, we, we really do develop lists. Whether we write them down or not, they're helpful. Uh, I think in particular of like a checklist. Let's say we're going to engage in a project of some kind. It is a really helpful tool to have a list. If, you're, if you want to accomplish a task, to come up with a list. Here's what I need. Here's the order in which I need to do it. Here's what it needs to look like along the way. And here's the finished product. I mean, even if we don't write them down, just most of us, the way we're wired, it's kind of how we think about things. You know, so we enter into a new year. It's one of the big resolutions that folks make. They're going to get their money in order, right? It's, what, it's number two on the list, I believe. Usually it's health, and followed with that is money. Well, if somebody's going to get their finances in order, it's going to be helpful to know what does that look like. What does it mean to have our finances in order? Well, you're going to want to come up with a, a list. It's going to be a checklist, right? It's going to be a list that's going to say, well, healthy finances look a certain way when it comes to income versus outgo, right? You're going to look at debt. You're going to look at investments. You're going to look at savings, maybe insurance. In other words, these are all things we all recognize. If we're going to try and take this ball of money and make it work right. If this is a, some kind of a New Year's resolution, then a checklist is helpful. What do, what do healthy finances look like? Well, we can come up with a list of things. I mean, that, that, that's what this sermon is tonight. This sermon is a list. We started the list actually last week. It is for sure a checklist. It is one that I think really reflects biblical material that help us answer the question, what does healthy membership look like? I mean, we're, we're asking the bigger question, what is a healthy church? And though we've talked about worship, we've talked about theology, in many ways this particular part of it is as essential as anything. 
And I know, I know it's not profound. I know this isn't the deepest set of messages or the sermon tonight's not going to strike you as profound, unique. I've never heard that before. But a healthy church can't be any healthier than the sum total of its members. In other words, a healthy church needs to have healthy members. The whole needs healthy individuals. So what does that look like? What does it mean to promote, to think about, to put into place? If we as a church, we're going to make a resolution and we're going to ask, all right, you know, what does it mean then to, to really make Tabernacle Baptist Church a church of healthy members? Which, by the way, when I say that term, I don't distinguish myself and those who serve, as you might say, on this side of the pulpit from from you. One of the things I love about the way we do, Baptist in particular, do church, is really before I was your pastor, I had to become a member. I joined. I joined the church just like everybody else. Came right down front, right here. Came down right front. Now, you all had already voted on me to be your pastor, but you had to vote on me to be a member, which would have been awkward had that vote been different, right? Or it would have been clear. Well, one way or the other, all right, so that would have been difficult. So when I say membership, I I mean us all. We're all in this thing together. And so as we're thinking about what does it mean to have a healthy view of membership, this is the question we're trying to answer. What what does a healthy member look like? Really, this, this question follows what was the first question that we asked just to keep your mind going. It may even be on your notes there. The first question we I felt like we had to address is why would you even need to be a member in the first place? I, I know it may be hard, maybe for folks who come on a Sunday night. Is that really a question? It absolutely is a question. I get asked this all the time. Why do I have to join a church? Why, why should I have to come forward, stand in front of the group? Uh, why do I have to do that? Why can't I just be? Why can't I just be a part? So I try to defend that. In my mind, I did it well. I don't know what you all think. But anyway, it does give you some ammunition. Because my guess is you've been asked that. Or at least somebody has made the comment to you, I don't have to be in church in order to be a good Christian. Or something along those lines, right? Why do I need to be a part of a church? And so it was designed to answer that question. So then we jumped into this question we're looking at tonight. So what does it mean then to be a member? Okay, We've settled, yes, it is a biblical principle to align yourself with a particular body of believers. To say, not just I'm a member of the church as a whole, I'm going to hang out with this group of people. These are the people I'm going to align with. So then what does it look like to be a member of that group of people that you've aligned with? And especially biblically speaking, what is a healthy church member? And and I would encourage you, if you've not yet done so, to read the book, Marks of a Healthy Church Member. (laughs) Uh, though these qualities are not necessarily coming from there, uh, but one of the books that I made available to you, which I think we still have copies of, uh, if you would be interested in it, they are five dollars, um, and uh, would be well worth your time. It's about a hundred pages long, so it's not a difficult read, and I think some of you've read it, benefited from it. But, but we're going we're to take some of those ideas, but really kind of going in our own way. So last week we already looked at two answers to this question. Uh, so we're going to have a checklist tonight. Seven, a list of seven qualities, healthy church members. If we're going to engage in a project, uh, this is what we want. So we looked at two of them. One and two would be a regenerate member. 
I know that sounds like a big term, but I, I chose it intentionally because it is a theological term that says, if you're going to be a member of the church, you need to be saved. You need to be a Christian. I know it blows your mind. What I'm about to say is going to blow your mind. Did you know there are churches that no longer require a confession of faith in order to join? I know you think I'm crazy when I say stuff like that. Just Google it. Find out for yourself. I read a story not long ago about a church in Canada that just admitted an atheist as a church member. All right? I mean, talk of, that's almost bizarre. I mean, it's almost so strange. You think, you can't make it up. You can't make that up. That's, it's, it's one of those things that's got to be true. So regenerate church membership. In other words, in order to be a member, you have to give some kind of statement. You have to give some kind of evidence. Yes, you are genuinely saved. Then we talked about baptism. Now, not every Bible-believing uh, individual that I respect would agree with my number two, but I am a Baptist. I think very clearly about number two. We talked about it last week. I do think baptism uh, is uh, a sign of a healthy church member. So, these are in order, by the way. Regenerate, you're a believer, then you get baptized. And we talked about the mode, baptized by immersion. Number three, this is new. A healthy church member is faithful. Faithful. What do you mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? Whatever you can think of. That's what I mean by that. Oh, you mean like coming? Yep. You mean like being part of Bible study? Yep. You mean like praying? Yep. You mean like giving? Yep. You mean, sorry to say yep so much, but you mean, you mean taking the Lord's Supper? Right. I mean, all, all this, whatever you think of in regard to faithfulness, that, that's what I have in mind here. Which, by the way, is a word that I think accurately describes the very first church. In other words, if you were to say, what one word describes everything that encompassed that very first church? Faithful. Faithful to all the expectations related to the gospel. Faithful to all the expectations related to what God's people should look like in the culture they were living in. So so look with me. Acts chapter 2. Keeping in mind the context, Peter has preached the message at Pentecost. Also keeping in mind, having appreciation uh, for the numbers here. What we're about to read is not what a dozen, a hundred, four hundred people did. Three thousand men. So there were probably more than that, right? In terms of people. 3,000 men responded to that first gospel call. And so what does it say, what does it say that, they, that they did? Again, just, just so you have this, verse 40. And with many other words, he, meaning Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, this, this particular translation says souls, but, but it, is, it is assumed that this is, this is a reference to men. Most of the numbers, probably, unless it indicates directly in the Greek, this is probably just a reference then to men. Verse 42. Now this starts to describe what they did. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, 
the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now again, just take a look at what is a basic outline here. You want a checklist. You want a snapshot. You, 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 want, to, you want to look at something and you're asking yourself, all right, so what, is it, what does it mean in this day and age to be a member? We're not talking about you joining some kind of cold, lifeless institution. To be, a, to be a member is to be aligned with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is for what purpose? Well, exactly what's said here. This has not changed. And, and, and I love, again, just the straightforward simplicity of this. We should be involved in understanding God's Word. The reference there to apostles' doctrine. Notice the word fellowship. Breaking of bread. That probably refers to the Lord's Supper, though it, pro- though it could also mean what I've talked about in our study in 1 Corinthians, that the church got together, they met for worship, uh, then they had a meal together, then at the end of that meal they took the elements together. So, so, Paul, uh, so the, you know, Luke is giving us here you know, this earliest snapshot. They were doing this stuff right away. This is not developed over time. This is the very first thing they start doing right after all these people are baptized. These are the things they're giving themselves to. And, and i got to tell you, I, you want to talk about a massive organizational feat. Think about this. Think about what they're, what they're having to do here to organize thousands of people when they don't have what? What doesn't the first church have that you and I have? Very practical thing. A building. Building. Yeah, pews, right. Sound system, okay. Uh, Sunday school classes. Bibles. Right? Train leadership. I mean, yeah, they had the apostles. And the apostles, the good news is, through the Holy Spirit, the apostles are getting direct revelation from God. So that's really helpful. I can't even imagine what this, what this administrative requirements here were for this. Where are they gathering? How are they gathering? And you can only imagine then the impact this was having on the culture as these folks were gathering in the temple. And notice how it says they continued steadfastly in these things. So they're meeting together, they're worshiping together, they're studying together, they're taking the Lord's Supper together, they're praying together. This, this is what I mean by faithfulness. They're faithful. They're faithful to this, this new thing God has done, creating the church. They're faithful to one another. They're faithful to the gospel. They're faithful to the expectations of the gospel. And you want, you want a checklist. You want to look at something and ask, all right, what does a healthy member look like and what should a healthy church look like? I've got to tell you, it's not easy to do. Because you look at these things and we've got to ask, do, so do I do these? Do we as a church do these? Are we, are we faithful? In all the ways that may mean faithful, are we faithful here? By the way, I can even add, though I didn't reference it just a moment ago, even something like giving 
shows up here, right? Well, there he goes again, preacher going to talk about money, all right? They do give, though, don't they? In fact, how much do they give? It indicates some of them sold all their possessions. And they, and they divided them among one another. In other words, this, this is how far it went in terms of their care and commitment to each other and to this new thing. It's pretty radical, isn't it? They do this right away. It's, it's a pretty stunning testimony here to this, to this early church. And then, then the text indicates right at the end well, what happens. The Lord adds daily to their number. He's adding daily to their number. So again, I think we do have this. This is an important piece of the checklist uh, that we you have. So you have a regenerate to be saved, baptized, and then engaged, faithful, involved, a part of the group. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody has to be here. Everybody has to be here every time the doors are open. And I know I'm talking to a Sunday night crowd. Which, by the way, don't worry. When you hear some of these messages and you think. The Sunday morning, some of the Sunday morning only folks need to hear this. Don't worry. Romans is coming, all right? Don't worry. I've got, this is planned out. If you all know me, you want to talk about a checklist, I've got a sermon checklist, all right? Don't worry. It's coming, okay? But I would love a few more folks than in the pew who are next to these Sunday morning only folks who are nodding and amening. And elbowing if you feel close enough to them. All right? He's talking to you. All right? He's already talked to me. We heard this stuff a few months ago. He's talking to you now because I'm already doing this. Faithful membership. Let me give you one more verse. It's going to come up on the screen. It's one we talked about before. But I think this is just such a straightforward text. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another. In order to stir up love and good works, in other words, to stir up in each other, not just in ourselves, to stir up. Notice he's saying, let us consider one another. In order to engage one another with this love and good works, faithfulness, obedience, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. You know what's fascinating to me? This is written sometime in the 60s A.D. In other words, we're talking about 25 to 30 years, depending on exactly when Hebrews was written, not entirely sure, but there's the assumption the temple is still um, uh, there, so it's before 70 A.D. anyway. So let's say 30 years, just to make it simple. Within 30 years of Acts chapter 2. What are folks doing? Sleeping late on Sunday morning. Alright? Right? Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The word, the word assembling is churching. Alright? Let's not forsake the churching of ourselves together. The gathering of ourselves together. As is the habit of some. So, some translations even, even use that term. This one says as is the manner. Some use the word habit. This is the habit of some. It's already happening. 30 years, and, and, and this, this, isn't, this is an issue. I think it indicates this is a persistent struggle in church life. But one that, that, that we need to, we're just going to have to battle against. We're just going to have to battle against it. Say, no, we're, we're going to remain faithful 
to one another. We're going to remain faithful to what God's called us to do. And then, that, then it finishes out, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Exhorting one another. The word exhort is a little more intense than the word encourage. To encourage someone is to come alongside, pat on the back, attaboy. Alright? To exhort someone is to come alongside, maybe a little firmer pat on the back and say, straighten up, friend. Alright? So an exhortation is a it's encouraging, but yet it's also challenging. And so, you know, he's, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, so this is what we need to be doing, and there's a practical reason for this. The, the underlying implication here is we need to exhort one another to this, faithfulness to one another, to the gospel, to the church. And we need to do this all the more as the day is approaching, meaning as things get worse, we need each other more. So let's let our cynical side show for a minute. Is this thing getting better? This thing we call the world, culture, society. Does anybody think as a whole it's getting better? Is it getting more faithful? Less sinful? More moral? More loving? More kind? More compassionate? More logical? More sensible? Does anybody see this? No, no, of course not. And let me ask you, are we closer to the day now than when he wrote Hebrews? Yes, all right, yes. How much more do we need one another? And and can I just offer something that that may be an issue that we in an American culture need to consider? Have you ever wondered that it is our very freedom to worship as we please that has made us lazy? I think so. Because if you look throughout church history, you know when you find the greatest explosions in church? Growth? Persecution. Persecution. Do you know one of the fastest areas of the Christian church, you know where it's growing the fastest? China. China. They blow up churches in China. They kill pastors in China. They can't stop the gospel. You know in some ways what's been most effective at stopping the gospel? Just letting it go. Saying, all right, that's fine. That's fine. Just, in other words, is it possible that part of what we deal with in our country is a bit unique because there's no price to be paid for you and I gathering as believers in Christ? Do we take it for granted? Sure we do. Sure we do. But I I think one of the marks of a healthy church, a healthy church member, is faithfulness. Again, And faithfulness, again, on, on just about every level. Faithfulness to the gospel, faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the church. Just keep this in mind. And this is something I would encourage you to exhort others with. When we say faithful to the church, we don't mean you're being faithful to some institution. You're being faithful to the people sitting on your left and right. That's what we mean. That's what we mean by this. It's not that you're being faithful to a pastor. It's, it's, it's about one another. It's about all of us together. It's a critical need. Faithfulness. Alright, let's go on to number four. <clears throat> this one may not be met. 
with just absolute acceptance. We'll see what happens. Because already I, there's a word up there a lot of folks don't like. I think a healthy member is an accountable member. And what do I mean by that? Again, I mean, I mean pastor, members, I mean all of us together alike. I think a sign of health on the checklist is a willingness to be held accountable by my brothers and sisters in Christ to living a faithful life. Being held accountable to one another, leadership in the church. Uh, in, in other words, am, 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 I, am I willing to say, by joining a church, am, am, you know, in other words, standing shoulder to shoulder with you folks, am I willing to say, all right, yes, part of, part of me doing this means I'm extending to mature believers among me the right to come alongside and say, shouldn't have done that. Whatever that was. Come al- to come alongside and to, to do what we just read. To exhort. To encourage. Maybe even to chastise. Well, this, is not, this is not language that we care much for, right? But yet, Jesus talks about this kind of idea in the church before there even was a church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus gives some discussion here about what the nature of the relationships within the church should look like. Matthew chapter 18, we'll begin in verse Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he'll not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. You know, these, these words um, are somewhat controversial to, uh, when, when they're read. In other words, you know, I, th- I think we, we have kind of gut reactions to this. Undoubtedly, these verses have been abused by churches. Some of you may be aware of situations where they have been. I know, I know of some uh, where, where these kinds of verses can be abused. However, Jesus is giving us very clear instruction, is He not? In other words, if there, if there, if there is somebody who has sinned against you, now that, that's the particular context here. Jesus is saying in these one-on-one interpersonal relationships, somebody has committed an offense against you. Your first step is a one-on-one conversation. I need you to know when you did whatever. It hurt, it's offensive, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. 
And, and ideally, what would happen from that, and what Jesus says is, ideally, your brother would hear you. Or sister, alright? Your brother or sister would hear you. There would be reconciliation. We're good. And he says, but it, if he refuses, your next step, take two or more, take two or three people with you, have the same conversation. Now, though Jesus doesn't mention it, he, is, he would, we, we can't assume, if the outcome of the previous verse then happens here, great, you've gained a brother. I mean, he doesn't say that, but he doesn't need to repeat that. So if this has happened, and two or three come together, and, and then the individual's broken, convicted of sin, great, we're good. However, he still refuses. Just one final step. Bring him before the church. How does that sound? Anybody want to come to that business meeting? Mm. And actually, the word church there is assembly. It's one of the earliest uses, if, if maybe not the first. I'd have to look that up. Uh, use of the word in the New Testament. So, the, the word that is translated church is just the word assembly. And uh, though you know, Jesus has, isn't teaching them, uh, I mean, the disciples wouldn't have in their mind church like you and I do. Not at this point. Not at Matthew 18. They wouldn't understand this. But they do understand the language of gathering. They would have understood this from the Greek setting. They would have understood this from the Jewish synagogue setting. Um, you know, this gathering of, of a community, a particular group of people for the purpose of conducting business. And so this term then is the term that's used and translated as church the way you and I know it today. So he's saying, so this is the final step. You bring him before the church. Now, ideally what would happen you know, ideally then, there, there would be the same folks who have knowledge of the offense. The conversation would be held again. This is the sin. This is the offense. This is what's done. And ideally, he'd repent. Great. Problem over. Case settled, right? Court dismissed. <laughs> but if he says no, Jesus is pretty clear. To be removed from the fellowship. That's really serious, right? By the way, just so you know, I'm not talking crazy here. This very text and what I just shared is in our Constitution and bylaws, all right? And that's not unusual. I mean, that's pretty standard church Constitution and bylaws. Now, what we're talking about here is a much larger issue. I've used the word an accountable member. The term that may otherwise be used is called church discipline. Where, where there's this, this concern about the condition of you know, a particular member, members, uh, and there's this move to bring them back into fellowship. Now, I, I understand, I know what everybody may be thinking, boy, this, this could take you off in dangerous waters, right? Yes. Yes. I'll tell you right now, this point could be a messy point. I don't know any other way to say it. It could be a messy point. But I do think there should be an assumption that if somebody joins the church, you're saying, I'm willing to be held accountable for my confession of faith. At least, at least to that degree. You're saying, I'm willing to be held accountable to the fact I'm identifying publicly with your church, with your church's statement of faith, and so I'm willing to be held accountable to that. To say, okay. So if something is errant here, then, then I... I pray somebody would come alongside me and suggest this, this is not conduct becoming. 
a member of this fellowship, a member of Christ's church, we'd be accountable. Let me give you another verse. It's going to be up on the screen. So you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down if you want to read it later. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In fact, it's in this text that he goes on to say, we should be willing to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Typically, we might, trans, you know, we might understand that idea of bearing one another's burdens as simply being, well, come, along some, come alongside somebody when they're going through some kind of grief or tribulation. And that's certainly part of it. But I think part of that is also coming alongside somebody when they're walking through the temptation to faithlessness, disobedience, sin, rebellion. There would be a willingness on the part of the church, meaning one another, to come alongside, encourage them back. And, and here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. Again, I'm not talking, to, I'm not talking about you know, developing a tabernacle police force, okay? Though some of you were hopeful thinking, man, I want to get on that committee, all right? I'm going to get on the tabernacle police committee and, man, we are going to clean house, all right? Now, that's not what we're talking about. However, can I encourage you to do something? If you look around you and you say, I haven't seen so-and-so in a month, and I know they're not sick, I would discourage your first response being, telling me. You know what you should do? Call them. You. You call them. You call them. Now, I'd be glad to be involved at some point, but I would really encourage you to say, you know, that this is something I noticed. And you're a part of the body just like I'm a part of the body. You're a member just like I'm a member. And I'll be honest with you, I know you don't see this, I know you think, man, we need the preacher to come in, because he brings the big theological guns, right? Bigger guns can often scare people. I've seen some of you when you come into my office, it's like you're coming into the principal's office, alright? It's just, I can sense it, it's just natural, I don't know why, but, I, but sometimes it's like, oh man, all these books, wingback chairs... Low lighting, I don't know, what's he doing in here? He's reprimanding people, I don't know. Maybe he's got a big paddle somewhere, I'm not sure. I, I, I just mean perhaps there are settings and there are people that would be way more responsive to a simple call from somebody who sits in the section these people sit in, calling them up and saying, hey, I've not seen you in a while. Everything Okay. Now, if they come out and they say, oh, everything's fine except that preacher's a nut job, all right? Okay, time to bring in the big guns. All right, so yeah, so maybe we'll go see them together, okay? And we'll try and iron this thing out. Or, or it could be they'll say, well, you know, I had to run in with so-and-so. Maybe they misunderstood something. Maybe they misunderstood the actions of another person. There's no telling what it may be. Or it could be one Sunday became two, became four, became ten, because that can happen really easily. Not that they're trying to, not that they're just 
recalcitrant, rebellious reprobates. Those were all R's. That'd be a good sermon one day. All right? It's not, it's not that they're just, you know, just bound in rebellion. Just things can happen. Just be mindful of the ways in which you can help keep people accountable. All right, hold on to these notes. We'll finish this list next week, all right? Uh, as we get to 5, 6, and 7, um, thinking about qualities of healthy members. And, and you, know, I, I would, you know, I would welcome any other thing you may put on that list. If there's something else you think, well, you know, Pastor, you really didn't mention this or touch on this. Uh, I think it's helpful that we build an accurate portrait. What, what does a, a healthy member look like? Because that's what I want to be. That's what we want to promote here at Tabernacle. Uh, as we move forward in what God has for us, uh, that we would be producing healthy members of the church. Not members of an institution, but members of the body of Christ who are engaged, faithful, uh, accountable, committed to what God's doing among us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for gathering us. We do thank You for this opportunity to think about Your church and Your expectations for it and for us. And God, we want to be healthy. We want our church to be healthy. And so we pray, Lord, you would continue uh, to work in us and and continue by your Spirit to to do that work that only you do, and that is to to make us the body of Christ you designed for us to be. We want to be effective in your work. We want to be a church that brings you glory. We want to be a church that is used of you to take the gospel to the city, to the ends of the earth, to make disciples. We know, Father, that perhaps fulfilling some of that is going to be difficult if we're not first the people you want us to be. That this would be the right kind of environment in in which lost people would hear the gospel, would be converted, and then would grow into Christ-likeness. So, Father, we ask you to continue to do in us what needs to be done to make us that kind of a church. We thank you for the week that's before us. God, we, we enter into it in faith. We trust you. We know you're sovereign. We know you are present. We pray that you'd guide our steps. We pray you'd give us wisdom as we seek to live faithfully. We pray you'd give us boldness that we'd have opportunities to verbally declare the gospel of Christ. Again, Father, we just trust our lives into your hands, use us as a means to your end, and for your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.